I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's sponsor is The Helm, which is a lifestyle brand committed to elevating and investing in female entrepreneurs. They sell a curated selection of female-founded brands on their website that speaks to an entirety of a woman's life. They sell clothing, clean beauty, motherhood-related products, and many categories of items, all from brands founded by women. And they also have an investing arm that has invested almost $1.5 million in women-backed companies. Their website is thehelm.co, and they actually just recently featured featured this very podcast in their list of 22 podcasts by women that are worth listening to or something like that, which was very, very nice of them. Anyway, I hope you enjoy and thank you to The Helm for sponsoring. I did this interview with Susan Wiggs via Instagram Live, which was a lot of fun. Although, like with everybody, we had some connection problems, but ignore those. Susan is a number one New York Times bestselling author, and we talked about her latest book, also a New York Times bestseller, but I didn't know it then. I mean, nobody knew it then, but I could have predicted, but I didn't. But anyway, whatever. It's called The Lost and Found Bookshop. She currently lives on an island in Puget Sound and has been a writing fan for her entire life. She is an internationally best-selling, award-winning author. Millions of copies of her books have been in print in numerous countries and languages. She's a former teacher, a Harvard graduate, an avid hiker, an amateur photographer, and divides her time between sleeping and waking. <laughs> and found each other. That introduction was probably the best one that I've ever seen. So I should probably be late more often. Oh my God. <laughs> I was just Thank like you for me. rambling on and on about your book. So <laughs> pretty much how I write a book, rambling on and on. <laughs> Not to suggest the book was a ramble. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> there's so much in it. It was so great. Like just so it was so I said multifaceted. I should have said like just so textural. There's so many different elements to it. So Debbie, thank you. Thank you so much. That that book was my life for a year. You know, I've heard a statistic that the average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. And I always think, I should just, you know, be able to talk for three days and write a book, but it doesn't really work like that way. So thank you for appreciating that. <laughs> well, tell me about, so you've written 50 novels. That's insane. Yeah. How, over how many years have you written 50 novels? That it, like, that's just the most inspirational thing. Is it really? I, I hope so. Either that or, you know, I just, I have no life. No, I actually, I published my first book in 1987. It was a it was a historical romance, a cowboy romance, and came out in 1987 when I was in my 20s, and I've published a book or two ever since. So yeah, yeah, it's been it's been my life. I was a teacher. I loved being a teacher. It was you know my my second favorite career, I guess. But the writing eventually took over, and then this one, the Lost and Found Bookshop. It's the 50 something novel, but I kind of lost count. <laughs> wow. Cool. Yes. And thank you so much for having me. And thanks for your patience waiting for me to go live with you. This is my first time to go live. You know, um, this, this kept happening. I did this show during the quarantine the first couple uh, months. And I would say like half the people had not done a show before. So, you know, I'm happy to oh, be yeah. the one ushering in this new technology. So Susan, fun. you've written 50 plus books. How did you come up with the idea for this? I know you kind of alluded to some things and your acknowledgments about who may have helped you come up with it. But tell me, tell yeah. me the whole story. 
Well, it's a, it's a longtime fantasy that I've had and probably a lot of writers and readers have had of owning a bookshop. And so I'd always wanted to write that storyline. And then this one kind of came to me because I, I usually try to give the main character of, of the book a job that I'd love to have. And this actually is my favorite moment in the life cycle of a book because I've done my work, my editor's done her work, the publisher has, they made, you know, I hope what is, you know, a beautiful package for the book. Do you like the cover? I love the cover. I Good. love it. It's it amazing. Yeah, it was a long journey to get to it. You wouldn't believe the different looks that we went through. We had the streets of San Francisco and we had crazy birds flying and feathers and things like that. And so by the time we got to this look, it was such a good moment because I think it was the first time everybody who saw it agreed that, you know, this looks like the kind of book that, you know, will look yummy to readers and I'm sorry. This is this is Aww. my description this morning. <laughs> this is Lenny, and he's actually from Salinas, California, from a shelter there. So he's like all over me because he knows I'm <laughs> ignoring him right now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he's my canine companion while I while I write. But no. Anyway, this one came to me. Also, was inspired by my mom, who is elderly, and she now lives with us. And she has early dementia. And there was a character in the book who also has it and presents a lot of tender moments, but also many loving challenges to his granddaughter, Natalie, who's not only in charge of him, but in charge of this struggling bookstore in the historic district of San Francisco and the ins and outs of that. I'm glad you mentioned Trevor Dashwood, one of the love interests. You know, he has a clearly made up name and a clearly made up bio and he's kind of a fantasy figure now. I think if I was a bookseller, I would fantasize about, you know, one of the world's best-selling authors coming to my shop and, you know, and, and it turns out, you know, he's more than what he seems and very different. And as in many stories that I love that the answer to all your, you know, all your problems is right in front of you, but you don't see it until you've made this journey. Interesting. Yes, it was one of many twists that I felt like kept coming unexpectedly. I guess that's what makes it a twist. I mean, obviously. But anyway, I didn't see some of these things, even though you say it's right in front of you. I was like taken right along with everyone else reading it, which is funny. So one of the things that was so great about the book is how you referenced all these books that are actual books, right? I was just mentioning this before. It was so funny to read books that even came out last year, like Mrs. Everything by Jennifer Weiner. I'm like, that just came out and now here it is. (laughs) You know, I remember when I included that because I was reading it and I thought, this is fantastic. I I want everybody to read this book. And then I thought, well, if I was a bookseller, this is, this would be, you know, this would be what was so fun about it is to be a book evangelist and to put the book in the hands of the reader who's most likely to read and enjoy it. And so that was kind of a little fun shout out about books that I've loved, writers that I like. There are a couple that were made up and a couple of kind of insidery books, like the, the book that she reads that was that her mother had left on the nightstand. I guess it's not a spoiler to say that she inherits her the bookshop and the ailing granddad from her mom. And the mom left, I won't say how, but quite suddenly and shockingly. And the first thing that she does is she looks at, you know, well, not one of the first things she does. She looks at 
the stack of books on mom's nightstand. And it pretty much reflected the stack of books on my nightstand. And so some of those books are early drafts of books that I've written and appeared in another form. So I enjoyed doing that as well. But yes, a lot of the authors are friends of mine. There's one scene in a bar that's a fantasy. And this is another fantasy of mine to have a library bar. And I, I was I was concerned you were going to say the fantasy was having a bordello. So, <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we went a different way with that one. <laughs> How about a book bordello where yeah you just you, you help yourself to a book and you know have a drink yeah but the library all the cocktail recipes were named after Bay Area authors that I've I've either known and liked or not known but I like their books so that was that was fun as well. And shout out to Gail Sukiyama. She has a book out on the same day as I do from the same publisher, a different imprint. And her book is called The Color of Air. And it's kind of a family saga about a guy who goes back to Hawaii. I, anyway, read The Color of Air. That's the one that I'm reading right now. Yeah. So, yeah. so so one, one thing that unites some of the books that you've written is your interest in what happens to an ordinary person when something extraordinary happens. I think I read that somewhere. Anyway, what do you think it is that interests you about that moment? Because it is such a pivotal point in people's life, right? You just go about your life and everything is the same. And then one minute, everything is different. And you love examining that intersection of sort of past and present. Tell me a little bit about your attraction to that, to that time in people's lives. I do. There's a writing memoir that Stephen King wrote, the author Stephen King called On Writing. And somewhere in that book, he says that the typical writer comes back to the same theme over and over again. And for me, it's usually the healing power of love and family. But also, I'm so attracted to just, I think most people don't wake up in the morning and feel like a hero, you know, even though we need to be the hero of our own story. And so I'm very attracted to a storyline where a person is just going along in their life and, you know, some challenge just appears before her. And that's certainly the case with Natalie. You know, she's created this very safe, predictable, steady, secure life that did not feel like her chaotic childhood. And that gets turned upside down in a moment. And that, the drama of that, and to send somebody reeling with that is something that really drives the narrative for me as a writer and is something that I love as a reader too. So yeah, so that one, that was kind of a no-brainer for me because the last thing that I want to read about is somebody who's satisfied with her life and she goes along and everything's fine. <laughs> we want real life to work like that, but not fiction. <laughs> I feel like now is an example of this, that we're all sort of Ordinary people where something extraordinary has happened to all of us with the complete, you know, grinding to a halt of modern society. Oh my gosh, yes. yes. Um, we all have these, these pandemic moments where we realize that something is just not happening. And when a book gets published, typically the first thing we do is we go out on a book tour. The publisher lines up book signings and visits and library lectures. And, you know, you get to go out and promote your book and meet readers. And they had this really interesting book tour lined up for the Lost and Found Bookshop, where I was going to go from independent bookstore to independent bookstore and talk about book selling and what that is like today. And in like, talk about in a moment, you know, I got an email that said, nobody's scheduling anything for July. You know, early on, we thought, oh, maybe summer will be back to normal. No, 
you know, we quickly realized. And so this is my book tour. So thank you so much for, you know, hosting me and letting me still talk about my book and talk to readers. And thank you to people who are joining us and waving and shout outs. I appreciate it so much. Now I'll be, I'll make this a podcast too. So a lot more people can listen to it that way. <laughs> I love podcasts and I love audiobooks. I just got the audiobook to listen to. That's the only way that I ever reread my books. After they're published, I tend to, you know, I'll, I'll read sections of it, but I, I, I don't see myself sitting down and reading it cover to cover because it would kind of make me mental because <laughs> I'd want to. I don't know, tweak it or something. But when I listen to the audiobook, it's such a different dimension and a different, it just adds so much. So I'm going to, I, it's a long book. So I'm probably after going to walk to Chicago before I <laughs> listen to it all. But anyway, yeah. So the audiobook version just released as well. And so audiobooks and podcasts have kept me company in many ways through this. I always feel an even deeper connection when I listen to someone's audiobook, particularly like if it's a memoir and the author reads it themselves. I, I like to feel like we are we are full on friends by the time I finish listening and that but they don't even know me yet. <laughs> so, but there's an intimacy to listening and I think I don't know, podcasts, audiobooks, all of it. I don't know. I think it helps. Any way we can get the message to to people, even if it's not through a bookstore. But I, I really miss bookstores right now. I went to I went back to one twice, I guess. But there's something so special about bookstores that can't be replicated. And it's not just about the shopping. I've spent some time trying to figure out why I feel so comfortable and at home and happy and like fulfilled when I walk into a bookstore. Someone was sort of making fun of a picture I posted on Instagram, like, how could you possibly be that joyful around books? And I'm like, I don't know, but I really legitimately feel joy, like surrounded by books and in a bookstore. Like, what do you think it is about bookstores that just fills us. Like, I don't know. What do you think it is? Well, there, there's actually a li- that reminds me, you know, I'm not going to, I don't know the quote exactly, but I wrote a paragraph about that with Natalie's feeling of being in a bookstore is that people between the covers are still living their lives. And all you have to do, you know, to bring them back to life is to open the covers. And so if you look around, it's such a feast for the eyes and the brain and everything. And there's something really enticing about browsing through the shelves and looking at the tables. And so I tried to include scenes that have always resonated with me. You know, the reader who comes in, who, you know, thinks she wants a serious book to impress her book club. And she ends up, you know, walking away with a Jennifer Weiner book, you know, and things like that. So I tried to include that. I also included a writer who should be very familiar to to readers. Her name's Quill Ransom, and she's a nice lady, and people love her books, and she's everybody's mother's favorite author, and and she's very excited. Her book is coming out, and the bookseller, you know, organizes this lovely book signing, and then it's a horrible day, and nobody comes, (laughs) because I thought I should show that side of it as well, and how that can still have a good outcome, which it does for this nice lady author. (laughs) (laughs) But I must say, you don't make it seem easy to run a bookstore. I mean, the debt and the, like, the building and the 
inventory and you made many references in the book about obviously digital books and digital booksellers. And I mean, it's not easy. I mean, how, I don't know. I do everything I can to help, you know, promoting them and shopping even on bookshop.org and having my little storefront. But like, how can we make sure that these gems don't leave? I'm like so nervous that after this pandemic, we're going to walk back into different neighborhoods and all my favorite stores are going to be gone. (laughs) I agree. I totally agree. And that's another thing that came into sharp focus with the pandemic. I had a book out last year called The Oysterville Sewing Circle, and it did quite well, and it resonated with readers. And and then what happened at the end of February when everything shut down, it came out in paperback and became a bestseller on the New York Times. And I was kind of shocked that that happened. And so somebody at my publisher pointed out all the bookstores closed, but all the essential stores like the Walmarts and the Targets and the Costcos got to stay open. And those are the ones that sell the rack size paperback. And so the book, the Oysterville book was out in rack size paperback. And so that was something that was still able to sell when the bookstores closed. And then, you know, I, I started thinking, if I'm an independent bookseller, what do I do now? And so they were so creative. I'm so impressed by some of the initiatives they took, the online presence and the curbside delivery. And so we still got to support them that way. And thank you for bringing up bookshop.org. This is a way for people who are listening to shop at independent bookstores anywhere. Even if there's not one in your community, you can still buy from that and it benefits independent bookstores. And so I'm very happy to be able to give them a shout out to that one. I believe that actually came into being because of the pandemic. And so I'm kind of excited that it's become such a, such a thing in book selling now. It actually, it started before because I had a call with them before this all happened. I remember I was out in California. I was like, this is Mm -hmm. such a great idea. A friend of mine had told me about it, but then they just happened to be like in the perfect position. I mean, not to say anybody should benefit, but they were in a position to help when the pandemic did start and they just got, you can like watch as their profits have grown. Anyway, it's a, it's a great outlet. (laughs) That's amazing. And yeah, bookstores and libraries are the ones that kind of keep the, the culture in our communities and in our minds. And so I'm, I'm just so grateful to be able to walk into a bookstore and, and find my book. I'd also like to give a shout out to a fellow author. Her name is Suzanne Salfers. She opened a bookstore. She took over an established bookstore on February 1st. And so the timing could not have been worse for, you know, launching a new business. And that was actually going to be a stop on my, on my book tour that suddenly turned virtual. And so one thing that readers can do, they can go to my website, susanwigs.com, and the events page will list all the virtual events that I have. And so, yeah, please look for Suzanne and me too. Yeah, we do what we can with these indie bookstores. And I think they're doing okay. I hope they are. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that I thought was so funny in your book was how when Natalie was debating sort of what type of guy she, as one of the negatives about someone, she talked about how he wasn't a book person and how that like filled her with anxiety. (laughs) And was that fair of her or not? I thought that was so funny. (laughs) Uh, Well, that, yeah. Well, one of the first conversations that I had with Jerry, who eventually became my husband, was about the fact that he was reading one of my books. And he was not only reading it, he would email me questions about it. And so, you know, so I could see that he was really into it. And that's a question, you know, can you be with somebody who's a non-reader who doesn't, you know, doesn't have your same, you know, 
book DNA or book chromosome. I don't know. I don't know. I think it would be challenging. It definitely was for, for Natalie because, you know, even though she was, she had, you know, issues with the way that she grew up, you know, in an apartment up over a, a struggling bookstore, she feels very much a book person. Yes. The one other thing I just wanted to bring up is during the period of sort of loss and grief, you mm-hmm. talked about how this whole trend towards celebrating a life, right? When someone passes away and we have a celebration for their life, but how the people who love them most don't feel like celebrating at all. They feel like the opposite and not even wanting to go on some of the time. Tell me a little bit about that. And then I was wondering, like, did that come from a, a personal place? Did you have a loss where you felt something yeah, similar? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of personal things. They've, they've been transmuted into a, you know, a more dramatic and, and exciting journey than I've had. But I did lose my elderly dad. He died with Parkinson's. And one of the things that I've always kept with me is the way we as a family made his exit happen for us and dealt with our grief. And one of the things was we had a giant party. And it was a memorial and we all set our pieces, but we were wearing party dresses. We were drinking champagne. We were, you know, sitting on the patio and reminiscing and telling stories at the church and everything. And so the memorial celebration that takes place in the book, a lot of that came from my memories of those days. And I wanted to, well, unfortunately, she she was very traumatized by the whole situation, but I wanted her to find a way out. And I think the way that she journeyed through that transition was a reflection of the way that I kind of did the same thing. And and those scenes and conversations, they they were really emotional for me to to write and I hope for readers to read. And another reason that I love having a book out now is that everybody who reads, reads a different book. You know, you're going to read it and bring your creativity and your life experience and your lived experiences into the story in a unique way. And so I can publish one book, but everybody who reads it will read a different book. And so that storyline, it's unfortunately where nobody makes it out of this alive. And so I think it's the way that we manage the journey through those transitions is key to, you know, the way that we manage our, our lives and our love. Well, I'm really glad you took your experience and put it in there because I know many people including myself, have felt the same way about different losses. So it's always great to have perspective and share in that feeling, even though it's, you know, inevitable. I think that the shared experience is something that books do such a great job of, of doing is making all of us feel less alone in the things that happen. But Well, uh, single parenthood was the other kind of personal trope that I brought in. And so probably my favorite character is Dorothy. You know, she's got a single dad and their relationship was, I mean, it came entirely out of my imagination. I've never been a single dad, but I tried to include some of the challenges and some of the rewards of that too. Because one thing that people, I think, overlook, you know, in conversations about single parenthood are the rewards of it. Suddenly you, you're the one, you know, you're on deck and your relationship is going to be different because it's two in the world, not, you know, not two parents. And I really wanted to explore that in the book. And hopefully, you know, readers will have some feelings about that and share that aspect of it too. Yeah, that was another great part. I'm telling you, there was so much in this book. You obviously know this, but you touched on so many different themes. It was it was very satisfying in that way. I know some of your other books have been adapted or 
are being adapted for film and TV. And I was just wondering, are you, do you have plans to take this book to the screen as well? Oh my gosh, every book. I, uh, th- that's another, you know, fantasy of mine is to see it adapted for the, for TV or for a movie. This one, I'm hopeful of this one. I have a film agent. I'm sure she's shopping it around to production companies. This one, I, I feel like would really lend itself because the setting is contained mostly in the bookstore. You know, most of the, the book takes place there. And in and around San Francisco, that's just, that would just be a bonus. So I would love to see that. Unfortunately, the author has very little to do or say, you know, unless the author is Nicholas Sparks or somebody who, you know, Stephen King, who gets to call their shots. But no, it's totally up to where this book lands in somebody's hands. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that somebody will see a spark there and, and try another medium. I would love to see that. I would even love to see like a bad movie made of one of my books. <laughs> I just, I'm just so fascinated by that process. It's not anything that I could participate in other than writing the book, but it's still, you know, a fantasy of mine. At least you've already started you've got some of the swag going already. I saw like your tote bags on Instagram, which by the way, I'm like dying to get one of those tote bags. Maybe I can mail you one of mine and you can mail me one of yours. I love with the book covers on it and everything. I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. I, I actually have one and I've been dragging it around with me everywhere. And so there actually is a way to, for readers to get one if they buy a signed book from one of the independent bookstores that has it, it comes with a tote tote bag. So, and yeah, yeah, I think they can find information on my, I think it's on my blog or my website. I'll make sure that it's up there prominently displayed and, and they can pick their indie bookstore of choice and, and get a cool tote bag as well. Awesome. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? You've written 50 plus books. I mean, how do you, how do you do it? What's the secret and what's your general advice for them? You know, I, I'm convinced that every other writer except me has the secret, but I wish that I had an easy formula for this. And I'm just, I'm here to tell you it's, it's not easy. If it was easy, a lot more of us would do it, I guess. But I will say that everybody has a story. Everybody has a story and everybody has a voice. And the people who succeed, you have to define that for yourself. What is it? You know, is it just getting your story out or is it getting your story published in a big way or a small way? But if you want, this is commercial publishing. I mean, it's big publishers and the writer, all the writer has to do is write. Somebody else does all that. In order to start that process. First of all, anybody who wants to write is in luck because you don't have to be, you know, a certain age to do it. I started very, very young, but I know writers who didn't start writing until they retired from a job. And so you can start at any point in your life. And the key for me is number one, start. Number two, finish what you start. And that's probably the, I know many, many writers who write 17 glorious pages and then they get distracted and it kind of peters out. It's sort you have to remind yourself to write, if not every day on a regular schedule. When I first started, I was a mom. I was a teacher. I wrote during my lunch hour. I stayed up late at night. I, you know, tried to juggle that. And somehow I wrote one or two books a year that way. My youth, I guess, (laughs) my frisky youth. But a writer needs to practice her craft. 
Some people say your apprenticeship is a million words, which is about 10 books. In my case, I sold, I think, the third book that I wrote. So be prepared to, to have some practice books and study your craft. The way that I studied my craft is not only I practiced it every day, but I accessed the wisdom of other writers and other writing teachers. And I have my two favorites right here. I'm never far from them. And I will share them so people can, you're going to go online and find this one probably from a second bookseller because I don't know if it's in print, but it's called Techniques of the Selling Writer by Dwight Swain. And it was published by a small press. And this was my Bible when I was learning the craft of writing a novel. And then this one is called The Writer's Journey by Christopher Vogler. And it's actually a manual for screenwriters, which sounds weird, you know, but everything that he says in here is relates to the journey of a book. And so between those two, when I would get stuck in a story and not know where the story should go and, and how the journey should be shaped, I would always go back to matters of craft because there's inspiration and there's talent and nobody can give you that, but there is craft just like in any profession. There are certain steps that you can take and things that you can learn. And hopefully if you read the Lost and Found Bookshop, here's a matter of craft. Okay. This is a quick, quick lesson. Pay attention to what Natalie wears in most of the key scenes and it's subtle and you probably don't focus on it, but you find that the way she dresses, and I find this with women that I know in real life, reflects what she's trying to be and who she's trying to be and where she's trying to go in life. So in the very first scene, she's very buttoned down and corporate looking and you know trying to be very professional. And the look that she adopts in you know scene after scene, she tries to emulate her mother and look like her mother and that doesn't work. And by the end, she's, she kind of looks like us. She's in, she's in her yoga pants. <laughs> I, got out, I got out of my workout pants for this. Yeah, so no. <laughs> Thank you. But by the end, she's comfortable in her own skin, in her own identity, instead of trying to fit into a life that didn't fit her. And so, and that one thing that I did as I was revising the book, I realized that her evolution as a character was not sharp enough. I went back to matters of craft and I remembered some of these lessons and I thought, how do I show this in a subtle way without, you know, hitting the reader over the head with it? And so maybe some readers will notice it, some won't, but that's a typical matter of craft. I didn't make it up. You know, I brought my creativity to it, I hope, but that's just a quick little lesson that I remember from the book. And it's something that you develop by studying your craft. Amazing. Huh? Give us a preview of your next book. I would love to because I'm supposed to be finishing it probably this week, but I'd much rather do podcasts. My working title, and by working title, it means the title I'm using that I hope the publisher will keep is American Princess. And weirdly, um, I started it all before white privilege became a really big prominent issue in you know today's world. I was already writing about this woman who is, she discovers that she's afflicted with white privilege and decides to make a huge change in her life because of it. So it's called American Princess. It takes place in greater Washington, D.C. And it's been amazing to write. And I actually, before the pandemic, like right before in February of this year, I made a research trip to Vietnam 
And it was a life-changing, magical trip that I made with a number of, of fellow travelers who I haven't seen since because we got home and everything shut down. So that will be out next summer, 2021. This one is out now. The other thing I wanted to give a shout out to my publisher for, they created probably the nicest digital book club kit for this book. You can find it on my website and it has the coolest things. It has like some trivia cards about bookstores, has a coloring page, <laughs> has a recipe. It's very cool. So if you have a book club or you want to, you know, adopt something for your book club, I, I encourage people to check that out too. Well, I think I might just print them out for my kids now. <laughs> Very cute. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. Congratulations on finishing your first Instagram live. You made it. <laughs> oh my God, this was fun. This was like way more fun. I don't even want to work now. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, this is great. Thank you for sharing your virtual book tour, making this a stop. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on your book. And I'm going to go online and now find a way to get myself one of those tote bags. <laughs> You are so welcome. Thank you again. And I hope everybody stays safe. Wear your mask. Don't touch your face. Read a book. <laughs> Bye, now. Bye, Susan. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. This episode has been sponsored by The Helm, thehelm.co, a lifestyle brand committed to elevating and investing in female entrepreneurs with tons of products by women founders. Definitely go check them out. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.